0: Hey everybody, welcome. My name is Steve Fenning. I'm one of the leaders here at the Forge, and it's my pleasure to welcome you to the Forge podcast. Uh, we're involved in a series called GoPro, seeing life through a new lens, and I hope that over these next thirty minutes you're able to sit back and enjoy, and I hope that you find it helpful. Hey, today, if um, if you're a husband, listen out. If you're a wife. You'll definitely be listening out, won't (laughs) you? And if you're a prospective husband or prospective wife, hopefully something for today will be useful uh, for you. Uh, Just to let you know, if you're visiting, um, you are so welcome. We are so glad that you've joined with us today. And uh, if you're watching online and it's your first time also, um, you are very, very welcome. Uh, My name's Steve. I have actually been married twice. Um, So Sarah, who's sitting down here, is my second wife. My first wife, Sarah, uh, died back in 1999. And so I've had two goes at being a husband. That's why I've been asked to speak on being a pro-husband. So it's great, isn't it? That's really good. If only. 2005, Sarah and I were in an airport. Uh, We were um, going off to Australia. Uh, with the kids, and we had some forms to fill in, and on one of the forms, I had to fill in details about uh, Sarah, we had been married for um, three years, and uh, it came to Sarah's middle name, and I couldn't remember it, so I said, Sarah, what's your middle name? Don't ever ask that question, <laughs> because... Uh, <laughs> Uh, because it just raised suspicions in her that I really didn't know her very well. And, um, uh, and so I couldn't remember whether Catherine was a C or a K. It's a K. And, um, uh, and then she started asking me other questions. What's my mother's maiden name? What colour are my eyes? Don't look, just tell me. What colour are my eyes? i tell you, when wives start asking husbands those kind of questions, utter panic fills us, and we will come out with anything. And green or hazel were not the colour of Sarah's eyes. And uh, to describe her blue eyes, in fact, which I had to secretly check before the talk. Um, <laughs> so, yes, pro-husband, hey. <laughs> So I asked Sarah to ask some of her work colleagues at uh, the primary school where she teaches um, uh, what they thought makes a great husband. Uh, she said a riot was caused in the staff room. The noise levels were deafening as the ladies talked. And it seems as if women have an opinion on this. Um, uh, and some various themes emerged from those conversations. Here we go. They'll just come up onto the screen. Onto the screen. Not screen. Screen. Um, they said Communication. They said the importance of listening and not being tuned out is vital. They said responsibility, that when a husband says he's going to do something, that he takes responsibility and he does it. And he does it in a reasonable amount of time um, uh, from when he says that um, he's going to do it. Uh, It was really helpful if they take the weight off um, uh, the wires for all the jobs that they have to do, such as cleaning up after themselves. Um, they spoke about it more being the spirit of law than just the letter of the law in that kind of thing. They spoke about um, support and teamwork, of uh, wives not having to do everything by themselves. They want to know that they're in it together. And they also spoke about wanting attention and that whole thing called romance, of being noticed and of being There we go. So that was the feedback that Sarah brought back to me from her staff room. Now, let me give you just a little bit of context to this Go Pro series. Uh, When we're answering the question, what does it look like to be a pro-husband? We all look at life through a different lens, and we'll all look at it from a certain perspective. And our perspective on life isn't wrong. In fact, our perspective on life is right, but it's just not complete. And so what was interesting about the GoPro camera that uh, the guy Nick Woodman um, uh, created was that he bought a new lens, and you could attach this lens, this camera, onto surfboards, onto skis, onto um, gliders, all kinds of things. And so suddenly, you saw life through the GoPro from a very different perspective. It was through a new lens and a different perspective. That's what the GoPro camera is able to do. So when Jesus came and he taught about life and he taught about attitudes and he taught about behaviours, he enabled people to see life through a different lens, to see life from another perspective, a different perspective, a relational perspective. And in the past, You see, the people of Israel, the Jews, they had gone through life uh, knowing that to be right, to live right, and to be right with God, they had to obey a certain set of rules. There are about 600 of them. We would know 10 of them, or would kind of know about 10 of them, as in the Ten Commandments. But they had about 600, and if they could keep those, that would put them in a right relationship with God. They were given to a man called Moses on Mount Sinai. And then when Jesus came, Jesus brought a whole new perspective on life and what it means to have a relationship with God. And instead of having 600 rules, he narrowed them down to two and then to one. The two were to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then a little while later, he said, really, if you really want to be able to love God, then you need to do this. I am giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. Now, I've just given you that context because I think it's really important. Because as I try to build my life on the teachings of Jesus, of what he said and what he did, I'm taking advice about being a husband from someone who's not married, (laughs) It's true, Jesus was never married. If you go to the New Testament, you will find lots and lots of the letters that have been written are written by a man called Paul and it's very likely that Paul wasn't married. So why do we listen to people who aren't married telling us how we should be married? Well, it all comes back to this verse here. In other words, husbands, whatever you do, love your wives. (laughs) It is my job to love my wife. That is the choice that I make. It's not just about a feeling. It's about a choice that I make to love my wife. And if you're a husband here today, or if you're a potential husband, and you want to go pro, and you want to be the best husband that you can be, then honestly, it's based around this. You need to love your wife. You need to show her that you love her, tell her that you love her, be loving towards her. And in fact, ask yourself this question What's the loving thing to do in this situation? And when you've found an answer to that, just do it. There we go. And that will set you up to be a pro husband. Honestly. Boom. Let's stand and sing our final song, shall we? Because actually, that's it. <laughs> That's, that's what we have to do. In everything that we do, we are to love our wives. It's why a man called Paul... Uh, when he was writing about marriage, he wrote these words. First of all, he said this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, he says, when it comes to marriage, it's about both giving into the marriage. It's not about what we can get. It's not about one person having dominance over another. It's about submitting to one another. And then he has something to say to husbands. Okay. And this is what he says to husbands. He doesn't say this to wives to poke at husbands, okay, just to let you know that. Okay, this is just what he says to husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Now, I wonder where he got that from. Oh, yes, do you remember? The big commandment. Husbands, love your wives. And then he qualifies it, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, I want to be as open as I can with you today that these words that you just read here, these words on the screen, have honestly been my guiding light with regards to me trying to be a good husband. Do you know what, I tease my wife a lot, especially from stage, but you need to know that I love her so much, I really do. I am the luckiest man in the world and I cannot believe that I managed to woo her. She is so the opposite to me. She is slim, she's beautiful, she's intelligent. Well, apart from choosing me, that is. Uh, Complete opposite to me. And yet, she's young. Seven years younger, and I pulled her. Yes! (laughs) I tell you, I I shock myself sometimes. I really do. But do you know what? Even though I love her to bits, it doesn't mean to say that married life has been easy, because it hasn't. Uh, At times, for both Sarah and I, we have hit almost breaking point with the pressures of parenting, parenting, with the dealing with uh, depression, with not really having lots of things in common uh, with each other when it comes to interests. And whenever it's been tough, and whenever it's, it's, yeah, it's been really, really hard, what I have done is every time I have come back to this, and I have said to myself, Steve, as a husband, love your wife, love your wife. I have said it to myself over and over again. And that is not just about a feeling. The feeling sometimes comes after the choice that I've made. And I am so glad that Sarah has chosen to do the same and hasn't given up on me uh, as well. Because even though I appear so lovely from the front, I'm not actually. So what I want to do over these next few minutes is just to pick up on two things Two things that I heard from a guy called Craig Rochelle, who's a church leader in the States. Uh, he was doing a four-week teaching series on marriage. And I just want to pick up on two things that I heard from that, that I found incredibly helpful, and it certainly resonated um, with me. So first of all, it is this. When did I first become a husband to Sarah? Well, it was on Saturday, the 30th of March, 2002. It was in a church called Bacton, uh, Backton Parish Church. And I stood at the front along with Sarah there. God, didn't she look cracking? Um, uh, as I stood there in front of the church and I made some vows in front of lots of people uh, and obviously to, uh, to Sarah as they are there, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death do us part. And do you know what? If you want to be a pro-husband, I honestly think that there are times when we should make more vows. We should make more promises, and what we base those promises around is important. And if you're someone who finds yourself in a marriage where it is not as you had wanted it to be, It's not as you had anticipated it to be. i tell you, every single one of us has the ability to change something. And on the whole, we always think if I can change the other person, we cannot change the other person. What we can do is change ourselves. And so husbands, I want you just to listen this morning. And I want you to think, what is it that I need to do to step up to in order to make our situation even stronger and better than it is right now. So vow number one is this. I promise to always pursue you. I promise to always pursue you. Do you know, Sarah and I got together um, because of Jenny Elfic, who's sitting here in the room. Uh, there were two small groups that were meeting up for a meal. And uh, 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 yeah, I was invited. I wasn't part of either of those groups. I was just invited to go along for the meal. And um, I arrived and Sarah was sitting by herself. And so I sat down and we, we started talking. We had a drink together. And then both groups went through to this really long table and um, uh, we were the last to go through because we were busy talking, and so Jenny was kind of rubbing her hands at this point, thinking her matchmaking was working. And uh, when we walked in, there were two seats, one at one end of the table and one at the other, and so Because I didn't know what was going on. I'm clueless at stuff like this. I had no idea. So I went and sat at one seat. Sarah sat at the other. And he carried on talking. And little did I know that Jenny spent the whole of the first course thinking, if I moved every other person three seats going around there, then that should be able to bring them right for pudding. Uh, And so sure enough, halfway through, okay, every other person from you, if you would like to now work your way. And so of course, I ended up sitting opposite to uh, to Sarah. And we carried on talking. It got to the end of the evening. And I thought, that's a really nice evening. And when I went away, and one of my relatives said, Steve, are you ready to meet someone new? And I thought, you bet I am. So I thought, I'm going to ring her up. So I got this little speech all sorted, and I rang up, uh, rang up Sarah, and she wasn't in. And, um, uh, and then she ran back the next morning, so I heard that you'd... Of course, I couldn't remember it then. So anyway, eventually I asked her out, and we went on our first date, it was brilliant. Pearl Harbor. That's what we went to see. Fantastic. Three and a half hours of war. <laughs> See, me, romance, I've got it, haven't I? And a kebab afterwards. I tell you, we had a great time. And, um, uh, and it got to the end of that evening, and um, uh, I tell you, I was already falling for her. I really was. So um, uh, the next day or whatever, we, we arranged to meet up again. And from that point onwards, I was in pursuit of this girl. I tell you, I was so in love. Uh, I've, honestly, I was. And, uh, and so we would ring almost every day if there was a lunchtime. I would try and get around near to her school so that she could come out just for a quarter of an hour so we could have a catch-up with each other. I would send flowers to the school because that always impresses, doesn't it? I think. Well, I think so anyway. Uh, and so I'd send these big um, bunch, well, I tried anyway. And um, uh, we, would, we would go out together. We would have these special times. I'll tell you, we started going out in June. We got engaged in October and we were married by March. Bring it on. You see, I was in pursuit. Now, you all... If if you've been in a relationship or are in a relationship, you will identify with that. That you will know what it's like to go after and to try and catch the love of someone else. You see, by nature, we pursue things that we don't have. Or we pursue people that we don't have. And so you will have taken people out for meals. You would have rung them. You'd have had those phone calls. I'm not going to say, you say goodbye. No, I'm not going to say goodbye. No, you say Goodbye. No, no, no. Go on, no. You put the phone down first. Go on. You've had those conversations. And we do it. We've got those stories because we pursue what we don't think we have yet. The problem is, when it comes to marriage, so many of us stop pursuing. And we get used to our setup. We take for granted. We get stuck in a rut. Um, Other things take priority or take our focus. And so work becomes more demanding and our focus goes there. Or we have kids and kids take our, our attention. And our expectations aren't met. And suddenly we begin to fall out of love. And we say, where's the intimacy? Where's the adventure now? Where's the romance? And at the root of it, somewhere along the line, listen, husbands, we have stopped pursuing our wives And then we wonder why the spark has gone. You see, just thinking about it, in what area of life can you be lazy and things improve? Where? You can try it with gardening. You can stop weeding. You can stop mowing the lawn. You can stop pruning and to see whether your garden improves. Of course it doesn't. You can try it with fitness. In fact, I have. I have, I'm too busy, haven't got time, can't be bothered. And and, and does fitness improve? Of course it doesn't. Because wherever you want to see an improvement, you have to put more energy into it. And so why do we hope for things to improve in our marriage if we stop pursuing Do you know what? There is a really weird and funny story in the Old Testament where a man called Jacob runs away from home because of a fallout that he has with his brother. And he makes his way to see his relative, Uncle Laban. And he's busy working with Uncle Laban. And he's worked for a month. And Uncle Laban says uh, to Jacob, you know, I ought to be paying you really. So, you know, how much shall I pay you? And this is what happens. Let me just read to you from Genesis 29. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder one was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes. But Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. This is the Bible, just to remind you of this, okay? And Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. So that's how he's gonna get paid. He's gonna get paid by being able to win the daughter after seven years of work. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. This is when they used to have arranged marriages. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. He was love struck by this girl. And then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is complete and I want to make love to her. See every bloke 's mind it 's in the Bible every bloke 's mind. Laban is this dodgy character, and he organizes the wedding and in those days, the bride 's face is completely covered until after the marriage has been consummated and So Laban replaces Rachel with his older daughter, remember the one with weak eyes yeah Leah, and in the morning, Jacob wakes up to find Leah. In bed with him. See, it's a soap opera, isn't it? You can sense it, can't you? So Jacob obviously is not happy about this situation because he's been hoodwinked, and so he goes to see his dad-in-law, and his dad-in-law says, "Well, to be honest, it's not the custom to give away your youngest child, daughter, before your oldest daughter," and uh, and so uh, and so you will have Rachel. Um, after another seven years of work. And I always thought that actually that is what happened, that he had to wait another seven years before marrying um, the younger daughter, the beautiful one, Rachel. But actually, this is what the Bible says. Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Jacob made love to Rachel also. In other words, the marriage was consummated and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah because she had weak eyes, remember, okay. And he worked for Laban another seven years. Now, the story is weird. It is, it is just a weird story. How can you have two, should you have two, all of that kind of stuff, I know that. But the imagery here, I think is brilliant because Jacob worked for Rachel When he was already married to her. In other words, he worked hard for her even though he had already won her. And do you know what? I think that is the heart of what God wants for every single husband to put that principle into practice. You don't just go for pursuit when you're trying to win them for the first time. In fact, the whole of married life should be pursuing your wife, pursuing your wife, pursuing your wife, showing her over and over again just how much you love her. And so I want to be very practical just with regards to this. The first thing is this, how do we do that? When you think something good, say it listen to this, husbands. When you think something good of your wife, tell her. Never starve your wife of verbal affection. Honestly, don't do it. There is such power in words. When you tell someone that you love them, when you tell your wife that you love them, oh, there is such power in those words. A man um, who wrote the book called Hebrews in the New Testament says this, you must encourage each other each day. And you must keep on while there is still time that can be called today. If you don't, then sin may fool some of you and make you stubborn. In other words, you've got to keep on saying day after day, (coughs) tell her that you love her. Pursue her with words of affection. I tell Sarah so often that I love her. And sometimes that hits the mark. It does Sometimes she hears it and it's good. And sometimes she just says, you're only saying that because you're happy. And I think, well, partly so, but that is because I love you, do you know? And, and actually, I fall down on this because I stop there so often. And actually, it's not just telling Sarah that I love her. She tells me time and time again, but why? What is it? What is it that you love about me? And actually, there is so much more power when we say Why we love our wives. I love you because you make me laugh. I love you because I think you're beautiful. I love you because you're always right. Oh, Sarah must have (laughs) written that one. Sorry, (laughs) sorry. I love you because you've never given up on me. I love you because you're wise. I love you because you're kind. I love you because you think of me. When you think something good, say it. And another one, another one. When you think something special, do it. In other words, you've got to show her that you love her. You don't just say it. It has to come out in the actions, in the way in which we live our lives. Uh, A man called John, as he was expanding on this idea of how we are to love one another, John listened to those words of Jesus, that command, and he puts it into practice. And he writes it down and says this. Let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. I'll tell you, every single one of us has what we would, what is termed as love languages. In other words, we receive love in a favourable way, uh, in, a certain, in a certain kind of way. So for some of us, we will receive love by the words that are spoken to us. For others, we will hear those words, but it means nothing unless they do something for us. Or... Uh, unless that they give us time or that they give gifts to us because that's the sign that that, that you know that they love you. I tell you guys, husbands, it is so important that we understand how our wives receive love. And so if she has a gifts language, then buy her flowers and buy them often. If she doesn't, don't waste your money. Um, (laughs) If she has acts of service kind of language, then do things to please her. Be practical. Do the stuff around the house. It will be noticed. Why? Because that's how she receives love. If she has a time language, then book a weekend away together. Take a half day off work to be with her. I will tell you, when you think something good, say it. When you think something special, do it. And secondly and finally, it's vow number two. Remember vow number one is I promise to pursue you or to always pursue you. The second one, I promise our marriage will be about we and not me. One of the big lessons that you learn when you first get married and it becomes a battle from that point onwards is that it teaches us that life is not all about me. I tell you, it's a humbling experience, Uh, it's a hard one to learn, and it can raise all kinds of tensions because there is something within us that wants to fight against the we and get what I want. But marriage teaches us to consider the other person, to put the other person first, to work as a team. In fact, Jesus, when quoting the Old Testament, talks about marriage in this way. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. In other words, it's no longer two separate people living two separate lives. This is now about two people coming together to make one unit And the amazing thing that um, uh, the Bible, when it speaks about marriage, it speaks about marriage being a covenant, not a contract. A contract is based actually on mistrust. If you ever have to sign a contract, it means that someone doesn't trust you very much. And so you're signing so that everyone's rights are protected. That is not what marriage is. Marriage isn't a protection of my rights contract. It is a covenant And a covenant that is based on mutual commitment to one another. In fact, it's not even 50-50 in marriage. If it's 50-50, it won't work very well. Marriage has to be 100-100%. It has to be about giving our all. That's why Jesus said um, uh, about love one another as I have loved you. It's why Paul said, husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church. It's about all in, giving all of ourselves. Marriage is not dividing everything in half. It's giving everything we've got. There is um, a lady called Mattia Goff and her husband, Chris, and their two children. There's gonna be a photograph of them coming up onto the screen. Uh, Their two children... Celeste, um, who's five years old, and uh, their five-month-old Aurora. They're from America just with those names. She posted on Facebook this. She said, over this past weekend, I was having a hard time finding the words, probably because I hadn't had any sleep, to express to Chris why I'm not in the best of moods first thing in the morning. So I sat down with my coffee and drew him a visual. And these were the visuals that she drew for her husband to help explain why she's not always in a great mood in the morning. What? Where are they come from? There we go. I don't know what those other pictures were goodness me. Okay, so there we are. He's fast asleep. He has useless nipples. That's what she's saying. And she's saying, I really need to clip her nails. There is the baby um, uh, feeding while lying in bed. Then it comes, the baby's just been sick. Well, I need to clean that up. He's still fast asleep. Go on to the next one. There we are. Slap, slap, burping um, uh, the child. He's still fast asleep. And there in the morning, good morning, honey. Isn't, isn't uh, sleeping in great? Let's celebrate. He's still got completely useless nipples, uh, and she is utterly exhausted with the baby sleeping uh, next door. That had so many shares on Facebook. I think it was 200,000 shares, all by women, (laughs) all by women with children. Now, I put that up there because of this. Husbands, if you have young kids, the most romantic thing you can do at times is to bath the kids or to change the nappy or to lift the load off your wife, or even if you've had a tough day at work. The most loving thing you can do at times is to tidy up, to do the dishes, to clean the bathroom, to be helpful around the house, to take the load off our wives and to give them space to breathe. In other words, we are to share the responsibilities at home. It's not husbands, we go out to work and when we come back, we can have our meal. That is not the way that good marriage can work. It might seem unfair at times after a really hard day at work, but have a look at the vows and see where it says it has to be fair. You won't find it anywhere in any marriage vows where it talks about having to be fair. It talks about giving of ourselves to the other. I tell you, make a commitment to be in this together. Whatever issues husbands, your wife faces, be in those issues together. One of the greatest things we can do as husbands at times is just to stop and to listen. And when we face struggles and issues ourselves, don't hide those away. In fact, confide in her, don't hide from her. Confide in her, don't hide from her so important that we give, we make ourselves vulnerable. Why? Because secrecy is the enemy of intimacy. So husbands, it's time for us to start listening and sharing rather than avoiding and ignoring. Someone once said this, and with this I finish. To get what you've never had, you must do what you've never done. And maybe there are some new practices that as husbands, we need to introduce into our married life in order to see a difference moving forward. But it's also true this, to get what you used to have, you must do what you used to do. To get what you used to have, you must do what you used to do. In other words, go back to doing those things when you first fell in love. So I want to challenge you as husbands today to make two vows. To make the vow of this, that I promise always to pursue you. And secondly, I promise our marriage will be about we and not just me. That's about joint decisions based on mutual submission. I tell you, if you practice and if I practice these vows, we will be seeing life through a new A better, a clearer quality lens. And it is the lens of love that Jesus wants all of us to see life through. So I want to ask a favor. If you are a husband here today, can I ask that you stand? Because I just want to pray for us to start with. Is that all right? So can I just ask if you're a husband uh, to stand now? Can I just say, girls, you've done really well, haven't you? Well done. Let's pray. Father, this thing called marriage is so sacred and so uh, incredibly special. Uh, And Lord, for every man that's standing now, Lord, we, we want to take our part, our role in that seriously. Lord, thank you for the wives that you have given to us. Lord, we want to choose to love them, to love them as Jesus has loved the church, as you have loved us. So Lord, help us to keep pursuing our wives, to show them over and over and over again how much we love them. Help us to say that. Help us to change our attitudes. Help us to change our behavior so that our wives feel so secure in knowing that they are so greatly loved by us. And would you help us as husbands to to show real interest in what's going on in our wives' lives, that we don't get focused on work and other stuff, but that we take time to listen that we take time to share what's going on in our lives, that we won't hide, but we will confide. Lord, would you strengthen our marriages and help us as husbands to do our part in making changes to make our marriages quality. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening today. We really value you being a part of this and we'd love to keep the conversation going with you. So please link in with us through Twitter, through Facebook, through Instagram at Forge Church. And please do tune in next week.